Hi, this is Nathan. My passion is to provide Christ-centered Bible teaching and resources that glorifies God and will encourage and equip you to grow spiritually and live a Christ-centered life. If you would like more resources to help you understand the Word of God and cultivate a passionate love for Jesus that turns the world upside down, please visit deeperchristian.com. Now, grab your Bible as we dive into this message from God's Word. Uh, Well, Philippians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles... Uh, Again, we're uh, walking through a little series looking at uh, the mind of a Christian. And uh, we're looking specifically at Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 down through verse 9. And again, just so it's fresh in our mind, I want to read, starting in verse 4, and read down through verse 9 of Philippians chapter 4. This is what Paul writes. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all people The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and pleading with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As for the things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Uh, The other day we began and looked at verses four and five. Paul begins by saying, rejoice! And it's not a suggestion. Uh, This is not a recommendation. This is a command for your soul. And again, this is not based on circumstances. This is not based on situations. Uh, This is not based on your finances. This is not based upon your family. This is not based upon anything going on around you. This is based on the fact that he is our joy. And because he is our joy, would you rejoice always? Hey, would you just look at every circumstance? Would you just see every situation? And would you just say, oh, I just, Lord, I trust you. And again, as much, as, as much pressure as the world presses down upon your life, would you allow that to be turned and would you begin to leap and go upwards? Uh, Paul moves into verse 5 and says, Let your gentleness be known to everyone. And again, gentleness is not this idea of, of quietness or kindness. Uh, the idea here for gentleness is this idea that rather than demand your rights, rather, de- rather than demand the justice which you rightly deserve, I'm going to overlook the justice, I'm going to overlook the offense, I'm going to overlook my rights and extend to you mercy, love, and grace. And wow, wouldn't it be neat if the world knew us as Christians by that? That we were just going out of our way to show love. We were just going out of our way to show mercy and kindness, even when we're, are, we are the ones who are offended. I really think that's one of the things that turned the early church upside down is that here, here's, all, here's, a, here's a group of individuals and they're being persecuted. All these offenses are coming against them. And rather than retaliate, what are they doing? They're showcasing love and mercy and kindness and goodness. And we as Christians should be known by that. Uh, Paul finishes verse 5 by that idea of the Lord is near. And I briefly mentioned this idea that there's, this two, there's these two ideas with this concept. One is this idea of time, the fact that he's returning soon. Hey, the Lord's day is at hand, folks. The Lord is near. 
Uh, but the other idea is proximity. In, in other words, he's near, he's, he's come, he's, he's pressing in upon us. That, in fact, his spirit lives inside of us. He's just, wow, he's, he's right here. The Lord is near. And I mentioned the fact that this idea that the Lord is near is kind of the bridge or the linchpin or the climax, if you will, of verses 4 down through verse 7. In other words, the reason we can rejoice always, the reason we can be gentle, and what we're going to be talking about in six, verses 6 and 7 today is because of the fact that the Lord is near. So let's look at verse 6. Uh, verse 6, again, <clears throat> Paul says, Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. Isn't it interesting that Paul says, do not be anxious? I don't know about you, but if you were to give a blanket statement of humanity, I think one of the boxes that we would just place all humanity is this idea of fear, worry, trepidation, anxiety, foreboding. I mean, we just, we just have a natural bit toward that direction. Isn't that true? Uh, all you have to do is look at this last year. Uh, COVID happens. Now, it wasn't quite as bad as everyone was saying it was, as far as I can see. But, you know, hey, we didn't know much about it. And, uh, but what do we all do? We all suddenly went into fear, panic, foreboding, what if. And that wasn't just in the world system. That was in the church. Uh, in November-ish, we had some political stuff and in the midst of this political stuff, what, what did we see a big portion of this country doing? Well, they were living in fear and foreboding and trepidation. And that's on both sides of the aisle. In other words, if you're on this side, you're afraid about what happens if he gets in. And if you're on this side, you're afraid if he stays in. And there's just this fear and foreboding and worry and trepidation. And this is just normal humanity, isn't it? That word for anxiety, it's interesting. The Greek word for anxiety here in the passage is this idea of to cut into little tiny pieces. Uh, it's just to trim your life up. It's just, it's to sever. It's to divide. And isn't that how you feel when you're living in fear and worry and frustration and trepidation? It's, it's like your, your soul has been cut up into these little tiny pieces and, and you're being split apart and you're just, your focus is all over the place and you're just completely distracted and do you hear what Paul's saying? He's saying that should not be in your life. That, that nothing in your life should be causing anxiety. Nothing in your life should be producing worry. Nothing in your life should be causing fear. Nothing should be causing foreboding. How you doing? Now, if you're like a rational person, you would say, that's impossible. Not if the Lord is at hand. If the Lord is near, uh, it's that promise in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. Hey, he has looked at you and he has promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. So therefore, we can boldly proclaim, I shall not fear. What can man do to me? Uh, Richard Rembrandt, uh, he's one of our favorite guys around here. Uh, Richard Rembrandt was a pastor in Romania during World War II. And communist, communism was coming into Romania and just taking over the church. And, and there's some incredible stories of uh, Richard Wurmbrandt's life. And if you haven't read Tortured for Christ, I, I would so encourage you to read that book. It is so powerful. 
Uh, but here's all these pastors, and they're just coming under the authority of communism. And, and Richard Wurmbrandt stands up and says, no. Hey, this is not the gospel. I, as a pastor, am not going to bow to communism. I will preach Jesus Christ. And he leaves, and he knows he's going to be arrested. And he's walking down the road, and it was February 29th of, of that year. They put a hood over his head, throw him in the back of a truck, and take him off to prison where he's going to be in solitary confinement for his like 12-something-plus years. And it's interesting, Richard Wurmbrandt said that there are 366 commands in Scripture that declare, do not fear. And it's been contested whether that's true or not, but Richard Wurmbrandt supposedly had all of them memorized. And what he said is, that's one for every single day of the year, including leap year. And that was good news because you know what day he was arrested? February 29th of that year. It was a leap year. And as he was tossed into the back of the truck with the hood on and he's being toted off to prison, he said, Lord, there's a promise to not fear even for this day. How would you do in that situation? Uh, Richard Rombrandt, when he was in prison, was so beaten and so tortured and just so just... I mean, the things that was done to his body was so intense. In fact, they would take these rods and, and these electric shock things, and they would beat his feet to such an extent that when he got out of prison, he could never wear shoes again because he just, it just killed his feet. He got, it was hard for him to stand. It was really hard for him to walk. Uh, one day they, they took him, and of course, you know, in, in prison, especially in this, this regime, they were, they were doing a lot of intimidation tactics, and they were just trying to produce fear and anxiety. And Richard Rembrandt is sitting there, and he's just— He's looking at this guy who's yelling in his face and doing all this intimidation stuff. And, and eventually the guy was getting frustrated because Richard Rembrandt didn't seem to be ruffled at all. And the man says, are you not afraid of me? And Richard Rembrandt looks back and just says, sir, fill my pulse. If my heart rate is increased even by a beat, there is no God. Could you imagine I mean, if you put a hood over my head, my heart would beat faster. <laughs> if you throw me in the back of a truck, if you started torturing me, and yet here's Richard Rembrandt saying, why, why would I fear that? Because I know whom I belong to. God has promised he will never leave me or forsake me. So why should I fear when even this man is yelling in my face, threatening that he's going to kill me and torture me and cut, cut pieces of my body off? Why, why would I fear that? And of course, me and my, in my mind can come up with a whole bunch of reasons why you should fear that. And yet, do you, do you hear Paul's command? And again, you can look at Paul and say, Paul, you have no idea what you're talking about. But he actually is more acquainted with this stuff than we are. He's sitting in a dark, dank Roman prison cell. He's been tortured. He's been abused. And he's writing to those in Philippi who are being persecuted and tortured and he's saying, look, there is no reason to have anxiety. There is no reason for fear. There is no reason why you need to be caught up into little tiny pieces in your soul. Now, we live in America. Praise the Lord. And things are hard. I get it. But things aren't that hard. I mean, we understand there's some people that have some health problems. I understand that's really difficult. Hey, I understand that some of you are going through some family crisis. That's really, I mean, that, that's, that's difficult. Some of you have financial concerns. 
Hey, I get that. And hey, that, that's, that's heavy things to carry. But Paul says there is nothing in your life that should be producing fear and anxiety. Now, he sets up a contrast in the passage. Look at this. He says in verse 6, Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything. Are you getting this? So there's nothing in my life that produces fear, anxiety, worry, fretting, foreboding, trepidation. Everything in my life produces prayer and thanksgiving. And again, this is all review from our previous studies, but if you want more details, you can go back and listen to all those. Do you know what prayer and thanksgiving is all about? It's about intimacy. It's all about relationship. See, prayer here, and it's interesting, Paul uses three different words for prayer. He uses prayer, supplication, make requests. And when you start to get into it, it's not about giving God a list of things. So this isn't like, well, don't have any fear. Give God a long laundry list of things you really want and need. See, that, that, you're missing the heart and the tone of the passage. What is Paul saying? He says, hey, don't have any fear. Rather, let everything begin to press you onto Jesus and just somehow suck you in into this reality of intimacy and oneness and relationship with the living God. What is prayer all about? Oh, spending time with him. What is prayer all about? Hey, communing. Hey, what's prayer all about? Relationship. And yeah, there are times where I give him a list, but there should be times where I'm just still before the Lord in quietness and just letting him speak. Now, I've never heard booming voices, but hey, the psalmist tells us we need to be still and know that he is God. That, that, that somehow we need to calm and just, does it make any sense to you? So think about this contrast that, that Paul is setting up. He says, nothing in our life produces anxiety. Rather, everything is pushing you to this reality of greater intimacy with Jesus. Wouldn't that be fascinating in your life? Because here's the reality. It's not that the circumstances have changed. It's not that the situations are any different. In fact, it's the exact same stuff in your life. But whereas before it has always produced fear and anxiety, whereas before it's always cut you into little pieces, whereas before it is, you've, you've responded out of a normal human response, now you say, I'm embracing Jesus. Okay, some of you are obviously not getting this. Ah, uh, wish I had a better visual, but uh, imagine this podium is the pressures and the cir circumstances of life. You realize that if, if, this, if this is God over here and this is you over here, and the circumstances and the situations and the difficulties of life get between you and Jesus, it's going to put pressure. So what's it going to do? It's going to press you apart. And when you begin to recognize that the Lord is not near, you're going to revert back into fear, foreboding, trepidation, all this stuff. But what if, if all this pressure, this hasn't changed. But what if you got so tight with Jesus, you were like over here. And you were so close and you were so near and you were so intimate with Jesus that when the circumstances of life began to push on you, all it did was push you more into Jesus. Are you getting that? Same circumstances, same situations, same family problems, same financial crisis, same, hey, this hasn't changed. But what if rather than severing and pushing you guys apart, what if it would press you under the reality of Jesus Christ? Would it be neat if everything in your life caused you to get wrapped up in greater intimacy with Jesus? 
I mean, wouldn't it be amazing when, when good things happen, you're like, wow, I'm tighter with Jesus. When bad things happen, you're like, whoa, I am tighter with Jesus. So this is not about are things good, bad, or ugly. This is, wow, everything in my life is pushing me into this grand reality of intimacy and oneness and relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. By the way, do you know what we call people who live like this? Yeah, we have to call them Christians, wouldn't we? Because this isn't normal. This is not a normal human response. And you're not normal. In more ways than one. <laughs> Paul says, again, nothing should be producing anxiety or fear in your life. Everything should be producing intimacy, relationship, prayer, thanksgiving. Do you realize that you are to be thankful in everything? Not just the good things. Not just the happy things. Not just when you get the pay raises. But in the problems and the pain and the difficulties of life, we are still called to be thankful. Why? Because we know who our God is. And he has promised he will never leave or forsake us. Uh, Paul moves from that into verse 7, and he says, And the peace of God, oh, get this, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, is going to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word peace, uh, I think sitting on a beach, having a glass of lemonade, hearing the ocean waves come in, reading a good book. <laughs> Doesn't that just sound peaceful? Perfect 70-degree 70, 70 weather. This 100-degree stuff. Oh, mercy. 70-degree weather, sit on a beach, cool breeze blowing in. That just seems peaceful. Uh, that's not this idea. Uh, this idea, the, the Greek word for peace has this idea of harmony, tranquility, that kind of a thing. Uh, Paul is obviously hearkening back to the Hebrew understanding of peace, which is the word shalom. <clears throat> and shalom, by the way, is, the, is, is not only just a, this idea of peace, it's also the greeting. In fact, even to this day, you go to Israel and you greet someone. You greet someone not by saying, hey, how are you? You say, hey, shalom. Why? Because you are pronouncing something upon them. And the Hebrew idea of shalom, let me give you this list. It's amazing. It contains this idea of well-being, health, prosperity, security, soundness, completeness, wholeness. So when you see someone say, hey, shalom, what are you doing? You're saying, wow, hey, may the, may, may, the, may the peace of the Lord be upon you. Hey, may your life be whole and sound. Uh, there's this idea with the, with the Hebrew idea of shalom, of the removal of enemy faction. But it's fascinating the way that Paul uses it here. It's not that the problems have gone away. It's that in the midst of my problems, I experience peace. And when you begin to do a study of this idea of peace, and again, we're just, this, the, yeah, last time in today's just review, so you can say this more in the, in the previous episodes. But when you start to get in this idea of the peace of God, the peace of God is not an emotion. Uh, the peace of God is not a feeling. The peace of God is not a, whoo, I got a goosebump. The, the, peace of, the peace of God... That may be there, it may not be there. Do you know what the peace of God is all about? A person. Over and over and over, especially in the New Testament, peace is directly linked to God himself. And for the sake of time, I don't, I don't have time to get into all this, but uh, let me just give you a couple examples. For example, uh, Romans fifteen thirty three. Now the God of peace be with you all. See, this is his uh, 
Isaiah 9, 6, that speaking of the coming Messiah, he is the prince of peace. It's not that he has peace. It's like he has become our peace. Isn't it interesting when you get into the fruits of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And these are the fruits of the Spirit, which means, think this through, the fruit of the Spirit is not something you grit your teeth and try to produce. What are you doing? I'm trying to love. No, no, this is, this is abiding kind of things. When you abide in the, the vine, right, you're a branch. When you abide in the vine and the life of the vine flows out into you, the branch, what comes out of you? Fruit. What is the job description of a branch? It's not producing fruit. The job description of a branch, according to John 15, is abide. And when you abide, when you hold tight to that life source, what's going to come out of you, the natural repercussions, is going to be fruit. So think about this. What is producing the peace in your life? It's not you producing peace. By the way, that's not how you would get peace anyway if you're going to try to produce it. It's not grit your teeth and try to produce peace. That, that, that's opposite. Well, how are you going to get peace? Rest, remain, grab tight to the life source, Jesus himself. And the Spirit of God, these are the fruits of the Spirit, is going to produce peace. Why? Because he is peace. In fact, Ephesians, I love this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul is talking about Jews and Gentiles. And he says, the Jews and the Gentiles hate each other. In fact, do you know what the Jewish mentality of the reason why God created the Gentiles was? The only reason, this is so crazy to me, the only reason in the mind of a Jew during the time of Jesus for why God created the Gentiles was that the Gentiles were going to be the fuel for the fires of hell. Oh, bless God. Yeah, somebody's going to have to fuel hell, so he made you. <laughs> yeah, that was the mind of a Jew. And Paul says, do you recognize what, what Jesus has done? He has taken these two groups who hated each other and he tore down all the walls of hostility and he made both groups one. And he's saying, when we get to heaven, there's not going to be Jewish Christians and there's not going to be Gentile Christians. Do you know what there's going to be? Christian. Because every dividing wall has come down. Which tells you, when we get to heaven, I'm sorry if this offends you, there will not be one single Baptist that makes it to heaven. Dead serious. Baptists aren't making it. And neither are the Lutherans. Presbyterians, those Methodists, Certainly not the Charismatics and Pentecostals. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> Some of you are like, oh no. <laughs> Let me finish my statement. <laughs> take a breath, take a breath. You realize that when we get to heaven, there's just Christian. That we're not going to have the Baptist quarter and the Lutheran quarter and the Presbyterian quarter and the Methodist quarter. There's a lot of quarters. And, you know, in the charismatic quarter. That when we get to heaven, there's Christian folks. The, all the dividing walls have come down. There is no more division. 
In fact, that was Jesus' prayer to the Father in John 17, that we experience that now. Not sure what you want to do with that. But in the middle of all that, Paul says in Ephesians 2.14, that in the midst of taking these two groups that hate each other and the bringing together those two groups, Paul says Jesus himself is our peace. That he doesn't have peace and give us peace. He is the peace itself. So think about this. Paul says that the peace of God, which we're talking about a person, which goes beyond all comprehension and and understanding, is going to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, The heart and mind idea is is all the internal stuff. It's it's your mind. It's your will. It's your emotions. It's it's all that internal stuff. And so when when you get into this, it's, it's this idea that the peace of God, which is the person, is going to literally come and guard. It's a military term. Uh, the idea is to, to take soldiers and put it around a town or a castle. And they're all, they're all ready and in position and they're guarding that which is precious. Do you hear what Paul is saying? He's saying nothing in your life should be producing fear or anxiety or foreboding. Rather, everything is pushing you to the reality of intimacy with Jesus. And when that begins to take place, what's, what, what you're going to experience is that the peace of God, which is not just a thing, it's a person— He himself is going to come into your life, surround your heart and mind, and he himself is going to guard your inner life. I don't know about you, but we need that. Our minds are being bombarded by junk. Our wheels are being pressed by culture. Our hearts are being lured away into the things of this world. And whether it be the lust of the eyes, you know, the, the lust of the heart, whether it's the, just the distractions of culture, whether it's the affections, whether it's whatever it is that you have dealt with up to this point, wouldn't it be interesting if he himself wants to guard your inner life? And you're obviously a part of this and, and you, have to, you have to come into obedience. Hey, we get, we get all that. But wouldn't it be neat if this wasn't all about you and your effort and your ability and your What if this was about resting in him and allowing the God of the universe to guard your mind? Could you imagine what that would do to your thought process? Could could you imagine what would happen when when temptation presented itself and and said, hey, think on these things over here. Yeah, look over here. Look over here. Be swayed by these thoughts, by these images, by these whatever. Wouldn't it be neat if if your will, the, the will of your heart, would be guarded by Jesus himself and you weren't led astray by what the world calls success or, or, or what, hey, think on these things kind of stuff. Hey, don't, don't live for the applause of, of, of the world kind of stuff. Wouldn't it be neat if Jesus guarded all that? Wouldn't it be neat if Jesus guarded your emotions? Emotions aren't bad, but they're not supposed to lead our lives. And wouldn't it just be phenomenal that regardless of what you went through, Jesus himself in, in the inner part of your life would just guard your heart and your mind. Don't you need that? I need that. And the promise is, oh, he himself, Jesus, Jesus himself, who is, the, who is our peace, is going to guard and protect all that. Why? He's drawn near, folks. Can I ask you, What's causing fear, trepidation, foreboding, anxiety in your life? What's pulling you in distraction? What is cutting you into little pieces? What is, what is just eating at you? What is just 
Is it the finances? Is it, is it the family stuff? Is it, is it some sort of suffering or pain or persecution or agony or things aren't going the way you thought they should go? Or It's not that the circumstances will change, but what if you would let that press you into Jesus? What if you would just get all wrapped up in Jesus and experience the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, your greatest thought on it? Pray with me. Jesus, uh, we need you. Lord, you are our peace, and we need the peace of God which goes far beyond all expectation and far beyond our understanding, Lord, to, to actually guard and protect our inner life. Uh, Lord, we just, <clears throat> Lord, we just pray that everything in our life would not produce anxiety and fretting and fear and foreboding, but Lord, what if everything in our life would press us into a greater intimacy and relationship with you? And Lord, I just pray that you would just, through your spirit, softly poke and convict us this morning of anything that is pulling us aside from you. Lord, would you press us into greater intimacy? Would you just pull on us and, and may our love and our affection be towards you alone? And may the peace of God, which does go beyond all understanding, guard our hearts and our minds. Lord, will you be the sentinel of our soul in these dark and dreary days? Our only hope is in you, Jesus. And Lord, this morning, we just want to worship you. Lord, we don't want to sing songs about you. We, we want to actually worship. So Lord, I, I pray that we wouldn't just go about the motions of singing some lyrics, but Lord, I pray that you would bubble forth within us this, this heart of praise and adoration and worship, and what would explode out of our mouths would be love, declaration of truth, and worship, for you are worthy. We love you, Jesus. We just give you all the praise and the glory. In your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen.